Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. It's time for Distractions with Chad and Nate. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, here's Chad and Nate. Well, when the Broncos let good old Vic Fangio go a couple months back, the search was on for his replacement. And uh, the Broncos quickly narrowed in on this guy, Nathaniel Hackett, who had been the offensive coordinator with the Green Bay Packers for the last three years. Three years in which the Packers went 13-3 and each time. Got bounced pretty early in the playoffs, um, but had a really good track record and a really good offense and a really good offensive system. Now, Nathaniel Hackett wasn't calling the plays. That was Matt LaFleur, but obviously he was involved. And when Aaron Rodgers talked about Nathaniel Hackett, he talked glowingly about him, about how he's the guy who makes this thing go. He's he's the guy who keeps everybody balanced. He's the guy who has the type of teaching style that keeps guys engaged. He's creative. He's energetic. And Broncos brass, listen. George Payton listened to that. And I don't know if it was because they still wanted to try to get Aaron Rodgers here or not. You remember that? Yep. That was quite a saga. Aaron Rodgers didn't end up coming. Nathaniel Hackett's the guy they chose over Dan Quinn, for example, who had experience. And a lot of people were pounding the table for Dan Quinn. But they went with Nathaniel Hackett. And ever since he's been here, there has been a an energetic shift, Chad. And mm-hmm. when you ask people about him, the biggest thing is the energy. The energy is different. The energy is different. There's energy in the building. They put a basketball hoop up in the meeting room, Chad, which I wish was there when I was there. Oh, no one else has a basketball uh, in their meeting room? Who? The Seahawks. Is that right? <laughs> it was there years ago when I was there. Well, then maybe he's on to something because the Seahawks have been pretty good. Right. Since Pete Carroll's been there. But then we watched training camp unfold and we got a little suspicious because it, it, it's not what we are used to, Chad. We're used to guys banging out there, hitting, uh, blocking, thudding up, sweating in the hot sun, dragging themselves out of bed, getting out there and barely making it through a practice and getting tougher and coming closer and congealing through that process. Mm. But it didn't happen this year. And so there's a lot of question marks about how a guy like this who's, who ran camp like this is going to fare in week one. But I got a little factoid for you that might make you feel a little better about week one. Every single one of the first-time head coaches yesterday, Chad, got a victory. Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins beat your old uh, Patriot squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Dable. Of mm-hmm. the Giants, got a, got a huge win. On a missed field goal, but they got the win. No, they went for it. They went for the two-point conversion to win it with under a minute left. Yeah. That takes some cojones. It did. Would you have not made that move? No, I love the move. I love the move, but the Titans had a chance to win the game and just missed the field goal. But the Giants won the game. You're still correct, yes. The Giants won the game. And Brian Dable won his, de- his head debut as head coach, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> he did. Yep. Matt Eberflus. Mm-hmm. You were there for that one. Yep. Won his debut against a pretty good 49er team, right? Yep. A team that was one win away from the Super Bowl last year. And then Kevin O'Connell, uh, Minnesota Vikings' new head coach, was, who was on the short list here. And some folks are pointing to his soft training camp as a reason why there's nothing to worry about with the Broncos. So considering that track record yesterday of those first-time head coaches who stuck it to, well, oftentimes these successful coaches who've been around, Bill Belichick, Lost to Mike McDaniel yesterday. Mm -hmm. Does that bode well for Nathaniel Hackett going up against Pete Carroll tonight? 
Uh, I think it, you know, it, it gives both sides of the argument. Um, I think it certainly does. I don't think there's something uh, intrinsically uh, valuable about having a first-time head coach uh, versus a more experienced head coach. Um, I, I would say, you know, yeah, it worked out yesterday, and some of those games could have gone clearly either way, and it wasn't their <clears throat> lack of coaching experience that brought them the victory. Well, it wasn't a lack of experience. What I'm saying was it a, a newfangled understanding of the modern NFL that makes them – more qualified to call a game now than these old timers who are st- clinging to these old beliefs, this old NFL stuff. Chad, it's dead. But we don't think of Kyle Shanahan as some you know old Southern football coach who wants to run the option. No, he's newfangled. We don't think of uh, out there in Green Bay about him. Matt Lafleur. He's Matt. he's old man, isn't he? <laughs> no, he's not. And I saw one gray hair on his beard. <laughs> These guys are not old school football dudes, so it's a bit of an odd sample. Bill, we want Bill to take- Belichick is. And I think that's a good that's a good comparison here, right? Because Bill Belichick has how many wins? A million. Mm-hmm. Mike McDaniel has zero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pete Carroll's played and uh, coached two hundred seventy two games. Okay, mm-hmm. that the experience gap there is pretty pretty huge, massive. So, and Mike McDaniel like went for it, for example, on fourth and seven, on a, in a situation late in the game that paid off with a touchdown. So, do you see Nathaniel Hackett kind of being a little more risky? taking more chances, and that end up paying off for the Broncos. I think, yes, the younger coaches have a tendency to be a little bit more uh, open to the risk-reward options. The older coaches tend to be a little bit more conservative. That's a fair stereotype, I think, that actually applies. Um, so, yeah, for Nathaniel Hackett to have some unusual things as far as old-school football mindset, I can see that. Obviously, his training camp schedule would reflect that. I think we'll see that reflected in more than just how he deals with the players in pads and, and training camp. That will be reflected in all parts of the organization, in the play calling, and, and the game plans as well. There will be some things that are unusual. He's an unusual guy. Uh, it's it's difficult to find somebody who's got some unusualness to them that is only in certain parts of their personality. It tends to be a thread that, that's, that runs all throughout who, who you are and all the things that you do. So to see, you know, Coach Hackett while the team is uh, stretching and him busting some moves behind the team, yeah, that's unusual for an NFL head coach to do. What do you mean moves? Dancing? He was dancing. When? I I saw when I was doing the uh, Broncos Tonight Show last night, they had a clip of him dancing. Because he was a dance instructor. He was a breakdance instructor. So it was a little bit of of breakdance-ish kind of... uh, Pop in and lock it. Yeah, it was it was very Coach Hackett, but it was the first time I've seen the NFL head coach do that. So, is he going to do some unusual play call during the game? Yes, because he's a different kind of head coach. But he comes from a lineage of old school football coaches. He's been around the game since he was a kid. Paul Hackett's his father. Uh, He famously was playing some you know like board games with Joe Montana. Um, He's been around the game for a long time. He understands the traditions. He understands. How to win a football game, right? Doesn't he? He cut his first player when he was thirteen. <laughs> yeah, did you accidentally? Uh, right? Yes. But yes. tell the story. Yeah. So uh, he was a uh, assistant uh, equipment guy when he was thirteen years old for one of his dad's teams, and he came in one morning and they told him to clear out this guy's locker, uh, and apparently they hadn't told that player that he was going to be cut. So as the player comes in and. 13-year-old Nathaniel Hackett is emptying out the locker. Uh, the player says, what are you doing, kid? He's, well, they told me to. Are you saying I'm cut? And the kid's like, yeah, they're cutting you. 
So that was his first time informing a player that he's going to be cut. 13 years old. Chain of command really screwed that one up. Yes. <laughs> you don't tell the player. You, you, you cut the player, then you clean out his locker. That's how that's supposed to go. Yes. Right? Especially a veteran like that. Um, so Nathaniel Hackett is in charge tonight of calling the plays on offense, but also calling the timeouts, deciding when to punt, deciding when to pull a player if he's not playing well, um, deciding when to you know do a fake, um, things of that nature. Are you concerned at all? that he's going to spread himself too thin. Because we've seen that happen in the past with Vic Fangio, right? Calling the defense. Thinking about the next play on defense and not thinking about the big picture or the clock. And I know that's not as big of a concern when you have an offensive-minded head coach because he's always thinking about the clock. But do you think Nathaniel Hackett's going to be spread too thin tonight? I don't think so. I, I think he seems to have a handle on it. Um, you know, his level of comfort on the sideline, clearly better than Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio couldn't figure out how to get comfortable on the sideline, where to watch his defense from, because he was used to being up in the box for so long. Just the sideline procedures was uncomfortable for him. He, he looked uncomfortable on the sideline. He yeah. looked like he was like holding a, 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 like a number two. Yeah. <laughs> God. Or like he couldn't remember whether or not he you know left the garage door open or something like that. He always had a look on his face. Right. I think Coach Hackett would be far better at that, better equipped to handle that. Um, and then I, I think there's enough... Uh, delegation on this staff as well to be able to handle the various various duties. Because Coach Alden has called plays in the preseason. Coach Hackett recognized at some point during the season, I may be called away from play calling duty, and Coach Alden may have to do that. So they prepared for that kind of moment. And so he called, what games did he call in preseason? Uh, I don't think he called entire games, but series, uh, series or two here or there. Okay. And did that in practice as well. For the first time ever. Uh, I'm not sure. Because he didn't call plays last year in Green Bay. I don't think so. So he's a first-time offensive coordinator. He was a tight ends coach. Right. In Green Bay. So if that ends up happening, that's an inexperienced person in that position, right? And in in a critical moment of a game where it's incredibly loud and uh, it's going to be a hostile environment. So it's really going to, to me, this is about a simple game plan. It's about getting your guys to do what you do well figuring out what that is at practice, okay? They know what they do well. They know what they feel good about. Do that stuff. Uh, you want to try a couple tricky things early, you know, to see if how they respond to it. Go ahead. But don't get ahead of yourself with your game plan. Allow these guys to go out there, pin their ears back, and play. These guys have been chomping at the bit for months trying to get out there, right? Every time they asked the guy about how do you feel about not playing in the preseason, every guy was like, yeah, it is what it is. We got to accept it. None of these guys wanted this. They all wanted to get out there and show what they had. They haven't been able to do that. They're going to cut them loose tonight. I'm excited to see it. Troy Rank, he's excited to see it. We're going to talk to him next. Let's ride Denver. The Russell Wilson era is here. Getting you set for tonight's Broncos Monday night opener in Seattle. Here's Chad and Nate. Our buddy Troy Rank, Denver Denver, Denver, Denver 7, joins us right now, presented by ROX, Rocks Heating and Air. What's going on, Troy? Are you um, are you in Seattle right now? Yeah, I've been here for a couple of days. I heard you're going to be on our post-game show with Lionel Bienvenu, Nate. Is that correct? Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm going to be in studio with Lionel, and, and we'll be throwing it to you guys over there. It's going to be really cool. Uh, fantastic. Uh, thanks for joining us for the show. Yeah, you got any tips for me, uh, TV-wise? Uh, you just have, it's, 
when they say you have a minute and a half or you have a minute, you have a minute. <laughs> it's much more structured in terms of how long you have to talk. Radio, you can ramble. When you're on TV, when they tell you in your ear that you have 30 seconds or 45 seconds, they're actually meaning you have 30 to 45 seconds. And don't say any bad words, right? Don't say any bad words. Okay, don't I can do that. Words. All right, so you've been there for a couple of days. What's the feeling like on the ground? I know a lot of been a lot of discussions been had about whether or not you know he's going to get booed, he's going to get cheered. What's the reception like? Have you talked to any fans out there? What's your feeling on what's it going to be like tonight? Yeah, it was so crazy. On Saturday night, I was at Cary Park and getting ready to do a live shot, and up comes Tyler Walk, uh, Tyler Lockett walking up, and I just sort of recognized him. I was like, "Wow, that's weird." I was like, "Hey, Tyler." And he proposes to his wife, or uh, girlfriend, what? right there at Cary Park. They That's had wild. candles set up. He said, "Will you marry me?" It's a great moment for him. So they're getting married. She said yes. But the talk here has been about the messy divorce with <laughs> Russell Wilson. Uh, there is some divided fans here. I was just at breakfast this morning, and I saw a couple. One wearing a Wilson Seattle jersey. One wearing a Broncos Wilson jersey. I saw a guy in face paint at 8 a.m. eating breakfast. That was <laughs> impressive uh, for the Seahawks. But you know, there's there's some animosity toward Wilson that he kind of he orchestrated it. He worked his way out of town. There's also those who appreciate the bigger picture of what he did in the community with his academy and certainly his visits to Children's Hospital and his Why Not You Foundation. But there's drama here, and drama is great for sports. It's it's added to the importance of this game. And honestly, let's let's call it what it is. If Russell Wilson's not on the Broncos, they're not playing in this Monday night game. They did not have a Monday night game last year, so. Wilson's made them relevant. He's the center of attention. But if they're going to win, it can't just be about Russell. Let's uh, move on beyond the Russell Wilson conversation. Obviously, there are other guys involved in this game who have a bit of an axe to grind, Shelby Harris and Noah Fant. Uh, with the news of Josie Jewell being ruled out with a calf injury, that opens up an opportunity for Noah Fant against uh, Alex Singleton and Jonas Griffith. For Shelby Harris going against Quinn Miners, there's an opportunity there for him to have some splash plays. How do you think those two guys on the revenge uh, tour do tonight against the Broncos? Well, there's no doubt Shelby will be playing with emotion. He did not want to be traded. He's comfortable living in Colorado. It's where his career finally gained traction after bouncing around the league. And so he was disappointed he was traded and included. They had to include him uh, to make the deal go down. But I expect him to play well, especially in the past game, whether it's a deflection or just pressure. Shelby can have that type of game where he gets a sack and a couple pressures and deflects the ball. Noah Fant, I mean, I just don't know how much they're going to pass. Obviously, Jewel being out opens up stuff on first down, but I'm guessing they're going to be a nickel and dime more, especially if they get a lead and Seattle has to pass. They're going to drop out and play. So they have Caden Stearns in there with Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons. But you're right. That's a matchup that Fant should win. I don't see it as much really for revenge for Fant as it is for Harris. I would be surprised if Shelby doesn't play well. Troy, Jerry Judy's a guy who has been the topic of a lot of conversation around here over the last couple of years because he was drafted in the first round because we expect a lot of him and because in some ways he hasn't let, uh, lived up to that. But since Russell Wilson has gotten here, a little bit of the heat's been, you know, um, ha- has come off of Jerry Judy, and I think that's best for him to operate under the radar. What are the chances that he goes off tonight? Well, they've got good matchups. They've got young corners for Seattle. Seattle's best players are there in their safety room. But in terms of beating corners off the line, Judy should have an advantage tonight. And Russell Wilson has done everything since he arrived to show confidence in Judy, to kind of put his arm around him, 
Uh, he's been part of the offensive meetings, the quarterback meetings. Judy has at times. They've done everything to microwave his development this year. Uh, so, again, it's set up for Judy to have that kind of day he had last year in New York before he got hurt. Five catches, 80 yards, maybe a score. That's always a little unpredictable, but it's time. It's time for Jerry Judy. With Tim Patrick gone, Cortland Sutton's the number one receiver. That's the guy Russell clearly trusted the most this summer. But when it comes to matchups and guys getting open, Judy's going to have an advantage in this game against young corners. So, I would be again. I would expect that Judy plays well, and it's time. I mean, we all know it. He's got the ability, but we can't talk about it. You got to be about it. And tonight sets up for a big night for him. You touched on some of the points uh, here, Troy. But put on your Pete Carroll hat. Then after that, put on your Nathaniel Hackett hat. If you're the Seahawks, how do you attack these Broncos? And if you're the Broncos, how do you attack the Seahawks? How do you see the game plans unfolding? Well, I think. If you're Pete Carroll, he wants to win ugly. Like Pittsburgh kind of won ugly. I mean, they had five turnovers, so they got yeah, that was an anomaly in that way. But he wants to win like Vic Fangio tried to win, which is not sustainable over a season, but you can do it on specific nights, which is run the heck out of the football, Rashad Penny. He's, you know, three of his last four games, he was over 150 yards. He's been one, he finished the season as one of the best running backs. They're going to try to run the heck out of the football. You know the advice to Geno Smith is take care of the ball, take care of the ball, take care of the ball. And if we don't turn it over, we can have a chance to win this thing late. Uh, and so that's my – I assume that's going to be their plan. Now, they have Lockett and they have Metcalf, so they'll use some play action if they run the ball well. But their strategy is going to be probably run the ball and take the air out of the take the air out of the football. If you're Nathaniel Hackett, you've got to remain patient with the run. Don't ask Russell Wilson to do too much too early. They don't need him to, you know, have the NFT play, the highlight play right out of the gate. Just play solid. Set it up to just pull away in the second half. So if it's 13-10 at halftime or 10-7, I'm not going to be particularly worried unless they're turning the ball over because it's going to be a little clunky. They didn't play in the preseason. But if you've established the run, you've established the short passing game, then in the second half we we should see play action. And that's where Russell Wilson down the middle of the field can be amazing. And the other thing I want to see is Russell Wilson off script. I've told people this, you know, like no shirt, no shoes, no service. He gets service all the time. He breaks the rules, and that's when he's best. And we haven't seen that guy. We didn't see it in camp because you can't tackle the quarterback, and he didn't play in the preseason. So the best thing about Russell Wilson since he arrived as a player, we haven't seen yet, and that's Russell making plays when everything goes you know, haywire and the alarms are playing. That's when people will realize, like, oh, that's why the Broncos have a chance this year because everything went wrong that play. He spun out of – a sack, and then he hooked up on a 22-yard completion to Cortland Sutton. That's the Russell Wilson I want to see, and I'm likely it's going to be in the second half. And the key is to have the rest of your offensive players come with you when you make those plays, right? So Cortland Sutton has his connection with Russell Wilson when he's scrambling. Jerry Judy has his connection when he's scrambling. Uh, How does the offensive line protect when he's scrambling and doing his thing? All right, on the other side of the ball, the defense of the Broncos, specifically the secondary. You talked about D.K. Metcalf. At Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Among them, they had over 2,000 yards receiving last year. Who do you think has the advantage, the Broncos secondary or the Seattle Seahawks receivers? I would say overall they're secondary because of Simmons, Jackson, uh, Darby, Sertan. But it's going to be interesting to see how they use Sertan. If Geno Smith locks in on DK Metcalf early, then you know maybe Sertan just stays with him. But uh, Coach Adriel has indicated to me that He's going to move Sertan around like they moved Jalen Ramsey around last year, kind of that diamond position where 
you know, if it's third down and seven and they feel like it's going to lock it, you could see Sertan on lock it. I don't think they're going to allow themselves to get beat in big situations if, if Darby's having a tough night. Now, they need Darby to play well because there's going to be points in games where teams just don't go after Sertan. That's going to become obvious as the season goes on. But Justin Simmons had as good a camp as anybody. And, I, I mean, he is the best center fielder in the league. So he's key because if it's Darby on lock it, and that, that's going to bring Simmons into play. They're going to roll him over into that coverage. They're going to trust Sertan to stay with his guy and be saran wrap coverage. But I would say the secondary of the Broncos has a slight advantage, but don't sleep on Lockett and Metcalf. The difference is Lockett and Metcalf have Geno Smith throwing to him, not Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson uh, obviously needs to find a way to keep his emotions in check. Um, that's difficult with the environment that's going to be he's going to be facing tonight. The Twelves are going to be booing him. His first time in that stadium that, where he will actually be booed as opposed to cheered. Uh, I have found that you can play almost any position on the football field and use the crowd and kind of grit your way through it. Quarterback is not played that way. Quarterback is played from a calm, confident standpoint, not from a grittiness standpoint. How does Russell keep his emotions in check tonight? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason he has his own mental skills coach, Chad. And Tim Grover, the guy who worked with Michael Jordan, he worked with another guy years before uh, this who unfortunately passed away. I believe it was from cancer. But Russell talks about in pressure – he calls pressure a privilege. I mean, that's, you know, you can roll your eyes at that, but he does embrace the moment. And also he speaks about neutrality in games, which in baseball we call, you know, you just cannot ride the wave. We, baseball players talk about this a lot because of the length of the season. You can't react to three for three uh, and you can't react to 0 for four. You've got to find that baseline. Otherwise, if you're on that roller coaster, you won't survive it. And Russell Wilson has shown a career of being able to show neutrality in big moments. And that's not just me saying it. He's 19-4 and four in primetime games at Lumen Field. He's 10-3 and three on Monday night games. And that tells you a guy who can handle pressure and a guy who can – it's different. I agree. It's totally unique where he returns as the villain. And I've told kids this when I coached them too. I want you to be playing with emotion but not be emotional. Because when you get emotional and you get mad – then your mind speeds up, your body gets tense, and you get out of doing things that you've practiced. And uh, Russell Wilson, I don't worry about that because that's not how he plays. He is so – he's calm. That's who he is. So I'm not worried about Wilson and the way he's going to play. The key is don't turn the ball over early. Don't give Seattle hope. They don't know they're a bad team right now. I mean, I think they're over-under five-and-a-half wins. They don't know that right now. Just whatever you do, don't let them hang around – you know, in the fourth quarter where it's a one-score game because that's when that crowd, as you know, Chad, can be a huge factor here. Great stuff, Troy. I will see you tonight after the game, buddy. Have fun out there. You better have your hairspray ready and your <laughs> IFB. Let's go. All right, man. Thanks, Take Troy. See ya. That was Troy Rank at Denver 7 presented by ROX, Rocks Heating and Air. All right, we're going to continue to break down this matchup, including uh, a discussion about two guys – We haven't really talked about it all, but they're going to be the difference between a win and a loss. We'll do that next. Let's ride Denver. The Russell Wilson era is here. Getting you set for tonight's Broncos Monday night opener in Seattle. Here's Chad and Nate. Day 193 of the Billy Ocean Cheer campaign. And while Chad looks up some uh, famous number 93s, do you think tonight on the broadcast we're going to see the obligatory 
fish being thrown at the fish market? Of course. Why do they have to do that every time? You, you have to set the scene. Those are so the, on. The, the day yeah, we get it. You like fish. The, all right. The day before the game, the, all the camera guys have to go out and get B-roll. So if you go to Seattle, you have to get an image of Mount Rainier. Okay. You have to get Snoqualmie Falls. Okay. And you have to get somebody catching a fish at Pike's Place Market. Have you ever done that? Uh, I have. Oh. It's pretty awesome. It stinks. It's slimy. but What's it's awesome fun. about it? Because it's so iconic. It's such a uh, Seattle experience. Could you do that in another city? Would it be as awesome? No, it's it's unique to Seattle. I'm sure it's possible to catch a fish anywhere you want to go, but it's it's a Seattle Pike's Place Market thing. All right, we're definitely wow. going to see that. We're definitely going to see that. Absolutely. What is what is the iconic Denver B-roll shots that you got to get? Uh, you got to get uh, maybe uh, the mountains. <laughs> yep. You got to get uh, maybe the, the buildings. The, there's a, some downtown uh, buildings. Maybe the flat irons. Yeah. If you're doing a game in Boulder, okay. maybe a maybe a Bronco game, you get an image of the flat irons. But yeah, literally, these camera guys have to wake up early on the day before the game and go get these shots that are going to be shown for a total of 20 seconds during the whole broadcast. But they got to go up early and do that because you got you want to get it in the right light. You want to get the mountains either at sunset or sunrise. And what about like in the past when you've had stories being done on you, Chad Brown, and they got to get B-roll for those stories? They're like, oh, yeah, just uh, walk down the street. You know, we're going to film. Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> yes. Walk, uh, walk faster. Walk slower. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to film you from behind. We're going to film you from the front. Walk into the door. Let me go inside the door and film you walking into the door. I'm going to be outside the door, and you're going to open the door. Yes, I've done all that ridiculousness. Just act natural. Yes. Right? <laughs> uh, Trevor Price, Ooh. great number 93 yeah. for the Denver Broncos. When I first moved to tight end from receiver to tight end, he was a defensive end, mm-hmm. and I had to block him every day at <laughs> That's practice. That's uphill climb. He, yeah. would laugh, he would laugh at me. <laughs> yeah. When he saw me come, he would just kind of laugh. It, it, it was hard cutting my teeth, but it was... But it was necessary. You got to get your butt kicked, and uh, you know I think about Greg Dulcich in the in the year he's having, or mm-hmm. the lack of year he's having so far. Hasn't been able to get in there and practice with his guys. Hasn't been able to put his hand in the dirt and get his butt kicked. Um, just a quick aside, Mike Jacecki, who is a tight end who has had some fantasy production in the past, is not, tight end? yeah, in Miami is not even being used because he can't block. Right. And certain systems rely on the tight end to be a believable blocker. We saw that last year. Noah Fant wasn't able to do it, so he was never on the front side of those run fakes. And so this is the same system. This is a run-first, you know, wide zone system, play-action, keeper system. These tight ends have to block. Alberto has to learn how to be a believable blocker if he's going to get open in the pass game. Yeah, I, I think it's impossible to run this system well without having that. Uh, you can do the Shannon Sharp thing where he was kind of always on the backside of those kind of plays. Um, I think most folks knew Shannon wasn't going to be a primary point of attack blocker, but he was willing. He was willing to get his nose dirty a, a little bit. To the number 93s out there, uh, we got John Randall, my Hall of Fame teammate with the Seahawks, Dwight Freening, one of the best pass rushers to ever come along, and his spin move was somehow a little bit deadlier than mine. Uh, Dominican <laughs> Sue. Big dude still on the street. I'm sure he'll be he'll sign for somebody this year and help him out maybe uh, late in the postseason kind of thing. Uh, he did lobby for the Nebraska job with Scott Frost being hot, fired yesterday. Yeah. Um, Gerald McCoy, Kevin Carter, Trevor Price, Richard Seymour, uh, and then also Denver's own Calais Campbell. Oh, yeah. He's still going. Yeah. Man, what a career he's had. What a monster, too. Okay, you missed a, uh, a very important location for a B-roll shot in Denver. Think about it. Think about it. An iconic music venue. 
Oh, they always go to uh, El Chapultepec, right? Red Rocks. Red Rocks. There Come we on. Go. El Chapultepec. It's Red Rocks, man. I went and saw um, Ben Harper there. Oh, I'm sure it was a good show. It was his first show after having not performed from the pandemic. Uh-huh. His very first show after the pandemic. And he sat there in front of us, and you know what he said? This is, and he's been all around the world. This is the best me- music venue on the planet. Red nice. Rocks. It's an awesome. It's, it's such a great place to take in the show, particularly a night show. Sun setting, it's awesome. So before before the break, I teased out a couple of players that are going to be really, really important tonight for the Broncos. And talking about tight ends blocking, talking about the running game leads perfectly into these two guys who last year, both of them, each of them had over 900 yards rushing. I'm talking about Javante Williams and I'm talking about Melvin Gordon, two guys I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better one-two punch in the NFL of game running backs ready to handle the rock. These guys are ready to go. How much do you think Nathaniel Hackett relies on those guys tonight? Hopefully it's a lot. Hopefully it's a lot. If you are early and often with your run game, then that opens up the play-action pass. It opens up the bootlegs. It opens up the rollout game. So all these things we want Russell Wilson to do outside the pocket, the run game allows that to go even further. Um, and the deep balls we want to see Russell Wilson do, what are you going to do most of that off of play action? Get those safeties and linebackers to bite up. That's going to be key for Russell Wilson's success. But beyond that, uh, I've given the stat out a number of times in the last two weeks or so. You have a 100-yard rusher, you win 73% of your games. You have a 300-yard passer, you only win 60% of your games. So the rushing attack is just critical for winning football games. Run the football. Take advantage of Javante Williams, his ability to break tackles here in week one when defenses aren't going to be tackling very well. Use the run game to open up things for Russell Wilson, like the play-action pass, like the bootlegs, like the rollouts, like the quarterback keeps. That's the best way to move this offense forward, particularly here in week one. So do you believe Javante will get the first carry? Uh, I would think so. I would be surprised that that was not the case. And how do you envision them splitting it up? Uh, trying to keep it 50-50, a series at a time, a hot hand type of situation. If you were the coach, what would you do? And what do you think Nathaniel's going to do? Uh, coach Hackett has talked about riding the hot hand. And it's some, something he's done in the past. So, uh, yeah, I would think that the hot hand thing has got to be, uh, I don't know, maybe feels good as a, as a running back. If I get going, we're not just going to go with some arbitrary every other series thing. We're going to ride the hot hand. If I'm hot and I'm feeling it, then I get to roll with that. i got to find a way to get into the groove as early as possible if I want to maximize my carries. So I think there's a little bit of a competitive thing as well that could bring out the best in each back. Uh, but I, I see them both playing. Let's go with a, a completely uh, unknown uh, number here. I'll go 60-40 Javante over Melvin as far as a, the, the carry split. But I think Melvin gets more of the third down opportunities. I think the Broncos have an opportunity to absolutely dominate the Seahawks tonight if they establish their ground game early, take the crowd out of it, um, get up to an early lead, make the Seahawks try to play catch-up, rush that passer, insert Drew Locke into the second half, and let the fun ensue. All right, so this is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The Broncos are favored by six-and-a-half. Who do you think is going to win, Chad? What do you think the score is going to be? We'll do that next. Let's ride Denver. The Russell Wilson era is here. Getting you set for tonight's Broncos Monday night opener in Seattle. Here's Chad and Nate. Well, the day is finally upon us. The Broncos play the Seahawks tonight on Monday Night Football. 
And they're favored. The Broncos are favored by six and a half points. The over and un- over under is 44. Interesting. Um, they got a lot of good players. They got DK Metcalf going. Dude, he is so big. Oh, my God. Yeah, he is big. Um, they got uh, Russell Wilson. Russell freaking Wilson. Um, but you know what? They got to play 60 minutes of football. 60 stinking minutes of football. <laughs> and what happens? <laughs> that may be the best one. <laughs> and what does Zach do when he wins his bet? I licked my phone. That's right. <laughs> um, and I'm sure they're going to talk about, really, the smart way to bet this thing. But, Chad, you and I are not gamblers. We're just football dudes analyzing the game. You've weighed all the options. You've seen the Broncos in preseason. You called three preseason games. Yeah. Nobody around here knows this Broncos team better than you. So what do you say? What's going to happen tonight? Uh, While I know the guys who played in the preseason really well, I don't know how these starters are going to play. So, yeah. Are those guys a, aren't those guys a reflection of the starters in a way because they practice against each other. They have the same system. Can, can you judge anything based on that? I don't think you can. I, I really don't think you can. Um, no. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. So I, we can I, glean nothing from the performance of the Broncos in the preseason. They went 2-1, and one, by the way. You can glean uh, the structure of the offense, the structure of the defense, what they want to do. Now, the run game wasn't great. Uh, Mike Boone had some success in you know, preseason game three, but the run game wasn't great all preseason long. But there were no starters out there. So I know what you are trying to accomplish. I've seen that outside zone scheme run really well in the past by teams. Um, you guys aren't exactly clicking on all cylinders doing it here in the preseason with these backups. But how are your ones going to do it? You know, again, are you going to be the 97-98 Broncos? Probably not. But you want to be somewhere close to that. Um, do you think Javante could be as good as Terrell Davis? I don't think he's got the same breakaway speed possibilities. Hmm. In the box, yeah, he's going to be dangerous. But one thing that made TD so good is he was strong and great balance in the box, but then could smooth it out and run efficiently once he got into this onto the second level. So interesting, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, do I know this team? Kind of, sort of, but I'm still no one can say what's going to happen out there tonight. Nathaniel Hackett can't say. Russell Wilson can't say. Pete Carroll can't say. We just don't know. Having said all of that about all the unknowns. Are the Broncos a better team personnel-wise, top-to-bottom, offense, defense, special teams? They are. Is there an equalizing factor with the 12s? There is. Is there a experience? Why is that more like every fan base gets loud? Every fan base makes it so you can't hear the snap count if they're into it, right? I mean, you always have to work with crowd noise no matter where you're going. Why are the 12s so, so, uh, I don't know, what makes them so special, Chad? It is it, because it is the loudest stadium in the league. It is louder the, than Giha? Louder than Kansas City. They get after it. They should be very proud of their their crowd participation. But no place, in my opinion, is louder. And I, Brock talked about it this morning. Other guys who have played there have talked about it louder on the field level than Lumen Field. It is the loudest place in the NFL. Communication is virtually impossible. And it's so loud, the sound actually begins to affect your energy level. Whether you can block that out or you can harness it is going to be up to each individual player. But it affects you in a physical, real way. 
does it affect the Seahawks as well? I mean, you're on defense. You're trying to you're trying to focus, and you got a ringing in your ears as the crowd is trying to upset the offensive rhythm, right? I mean, how does that affect the the actual defense of the team, the home team? It it affects them to a certain extent, but they're used to it, so they've got all the hand signals worked out. If you're going to be a Seahawks uh, defender, you've got to be really competent and confident in your your ability to communicate with hand signals because trying to shout to somebody or, or, or you know, do some kind of check, it's virtually impossible. The hand signals have to be clear and worked out in the preseason so you're very comfortable with that because game one is going to be loud. It's going to be loud and it's going to be raucous. They're going to be, well, if, if what Troy said is any indication, they're already pre-partying right now. And so what we can hope for is a fan base that gets a little too riled up a little too quick and loses some steam in the third quarter uh, when the Broncos start to pull away. Okay, Chad, you kind of been waffling, all right? You must have gone to IHOP this morning because you're waffling. <laughs> I asked you your prediction, all right? Okay. And by the way, before you do it, I want to tell you that our Broncos pick is presented by King Supers, official grocer of the Denver Broncos. Who you got winning tonight, Chad, and what's the score? So just to be clear, I was not waffling. I was waiting for you to do the read. Oh, okay, my yes, bad. Yes, yes. Hey, man, I'm new to this. The station this has stuff, to get, make money. we got to do our okay. reads. Oh, so you're before. looking out for the for the purse of the station. I appreciate that. Yes, I'm, I'm a team guy, team player. All right, man, I, you know, just to cut to the chase, I'm going with the Denver Broncos here. Mm. Uh, I think that the top-to-bottom roster difference is enough to get them a close win. Will it be a blow-away? I don't, I don't think it will be a blowout at all. I think it will be a close game. The Seahawks will have uh, a more than a puncher's chance in this game. If the Broncos were to be upset by the Seahawks, I would not be completely surprised because of all the unknown going into this game. But I'm going to lean on the better quarterback and the better top-to-bottom roster as a way to come out. But all those other factors, the lack of experience for Nathaniel Hackett, the coordinators not having experience, the Hackett and Russell Wilson trying to come together and form their offense, the 12s, all those other factors would make it a closer game than it should be just based on the skill set of the roster. What's your score? 21, I'm sorry, 24-17 Broncos. Well, as usual, Chad, you and I are on a similar track here. Um, The over-under is 44 points. I think what you saw yesterday in the opening weekend, a lot of those scores went under. Uh, A couple overs, but for the most part, a little bit of a choppy affair offensively coming out of the gate. Trying to get your footing, limited offseason reps, that's to be expected. It's not like we expect guys to be clicking on all cylinders. We just understand that if you want to be playing relevant games in December and January, you got to win some games in September. I believe the Broncos are going to win tonight, and my score is 24 to 13. Mm, but all this. The under, huh? Yeah, I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under. I don't think they're going to come out clicking. I think this is going to be a, a defensive battle. I think that Broncos defense has an opportunity to absolutely smother. This Seattle offense and just just make them their, you know what? Mm. Uh, but you know what they got to do. I mean, you, you can't just talk about it. You got to play sixty stinking minutes of football. That's how you find out. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. It's been a long, long time coming, and all these questions that we don't have answers to, we will begin to see some of those answers tonight. Um, and I'm 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 stoked. I think this is Russell Wilson thing is going to be a great era of Bronco football. It all starts officially tonight. Uh, I don't think necessarily this season is going to end in the Super Bowl. There's going to be time it takes to build things up there. But we got George Payton who's doing a great job. We got Nathaniel Hackett who seems to be the right guy. We got the franchise quarterback. Now we just need them all to come together and produce something awesome on the field. And it starts a little bit later tonight. Well, you're not the only one who's stoked. 
Brandon Stokely and Zach By. I licked my phone. Those guys are next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.